I met my best friend Anne in 1985. And the Babysitter's Club kept her friendship alive. Then Emily was born in 1988. And she said, Thanks, Aunt Esme. These books are great. Now we're all grown up and we're living our dreams. As a writer and a scholar and an expert on teens. And we're gonna start again from the very first book because we're stuck. Stony Brook. Hi listeners, Emily here. Just checking in at the top of the episode. I had a conflict when Anna Nesmi had the opportunity to interview Rachel Schukert, the showrunner of the Babysitter's Club on Netflix. So enjoy this interview with them and I will talk to you soon. Welcome to Stuck in Stony Brook, a podcast about the Babysitter's Club. Today we are extremely excited and honored to have the creator and showrunner of the Babysitter's Club on Netflix, Rachel Schukert. Yay! We're so happy to have you here, Rachel. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So Rachel is also an executive producer and writer known for Glow, Supergirl, and of course, as we just said, The Babysitter's Club seasons one and two on Netflix. So welcome, Rachel. Uh, We're just going to jump right into it and ask you a really hard-hitting question from the the get-go, which is, (laughs) why did you change... Yeah. Why did you change Jenny Prezios's name to Bailey Del Vecchio? Well, because she's kind of a different character. <laughs> um, and we sort of, we wanted her to have a first name that was, um, could be a boy or a girl. Uh, I remember just, you know, because she's trans and we were sort of trying to figure out, you know, whether or not she would have chosen a name as she transitioned mm-hmm. or not. So we just left a little ambiguity there. We still wanted her to have an Italian last name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and Lucia Agnello, who's one of the executive producers, who's from an Italian family, suggested Del Vecchio. And I was like, cool, let's do it. Nice. <laughs> but she's definitely inspired by Jenny. She's very mm-hmm. girly. She loves mm-hmm. pink. She loves sparkly dresses. She loves all of those things that Jenny loves. <laughs> yeah, totally inspired. We 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 loved that update. But I'm glad it. you caught that. Yeah. <laughs> so wait, 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 you guys, we should probably back up and tell you about the members of the podcast. I'm Esme Schaller, an adolescent psychologist. I'm kind of bossy, but I have a big heart. I'm Anna Chikala, a freelance writer. I'm a mischievous pragmatist with a sweet tooth. Um, I'm Rachel Schukert. I'm a Midwestern New York hybrid with a major shopping problem, but I'm a really good listener. Oh, that is a fantastic. <laughs> Very good. Hybrid descriptor. Ooh, really good. Um, if you want to learn more about us and how we know each other, you can check out our prologue episode. Also, please rate and review us. It really helps people find the podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or commentary about anything BSC related, you can drop us a line at stuckinstonybrook at gmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash stuckinstonybrook. Okay, so Rachel, we ask all of our guests about their history with the BSC. So let's do a little of that first. Um, how old were you when you first picked up a babysitter's club book how did you come across it and which one was it I think I got one as a birthday present for I think it was my eighth birthday I want to say um so it would have been second grade second if it was either my eighth or ninth birthday so it was either second or third grade because I have like a birthday at the end of the school year mm. um and it was it was you know how you have like everyone from your class and they all bring you like a little present and that's what I got and it was the ghost at dawn's house number nine orange cover mm-hmm. uh dawn and i think jeff in the like secret passageway with the flashlight mm-hmm. she's wearing a pink sweater i remember that i had never heard of the babysitter's club it was just like a random gift 
Um, and I thought it, I remember thinking it was sort of weird to be given like number nine in a series yeah. as the first one. It is um, sort of weird. Yeah. It, you know, you could always tell there was this bookstore called The Book House in Omaha where I grew up and uh, it had very distinctive wrapping paper. It was always like this polka dot wrapping paper with like one of those like sort of yarn ribbons. Do you remember those like sort of thick mm-hmm. twisty yarn ribbons? And yeah. then there would be like a book house sticker. And so it was, it was wrapped in the bookhouse wrapping paper. And I liked to read, but books were always sort of like a less exciting gift to get from a friend. I remember that like, I was sure. like, I loved, I liked picking out my own books. I was always sort of like annoyed when somebody bought books for me. Um, so I kind of <laughs> put it to the side and I didn't really think about it for a while. And one day it was just there and I had nothing else to read. And I read it and I was immediately hooked. And I immediately knew that I had to read books one through eight <laughs> to find out what had happened and who these people were. Um, and then there were just so many of them. And so this was probably like 89 or something like that. So like mm-hmm. it was, I feel like the Babysitter's Club was all of a sudden like in full swing. Like mm-hmm. I had never heard of it. And then suddenly it was all anybody was talking about at school. Yeah. Like they, it just was like this sudden onslaught where we were all suddenly reading them at the same time. Um, I'm sure that's why someone gave it to me that, you know, like somebody's right. mom. Of course she likes it. Yeah, but I had yeah. not heard of them yet. <laughs> nice. And then obviously you read the books working on the show, but how long had it been before you picked up a, a Babesters Club book since you were a kid? I mean, a long time. <laughs> Probably like 25 years, you know? Yeah, I would say maybe, that's maybe about... not quite. But yeah, I mean, I, I think I stopped reading them when I was about 12. So yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, see, yeah. Esme and I read them way longer than that, embarrassingly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it was way I longer. Feel like, I feel like maybe I reread them like a little bit, like for comfort, you know, further into mm-hmm. middle school. But like... From what I really remember them being like a huge part of my life, but it had, it had definitely been a long time, but I will say this. I feel like about 10 years ago, there started to be like awareness of them again online. Like there were sort of mm-hmm. like blogs, like there was like the, what Claudia wore a blog and like yep. a lot of things about, a lot of things about Claudia and like the fashion mm-hmm. and stuff. And I remember coming across those. And so that was such a like massive, like, um, sense memory overload reading those Mm -hmm. blogs that they were kind of like back in my consciousness a little bit, even though I hadn't really read them or thought about them for a long time. I was like, oh yeah. Mm -hmm. So what were your favorite books? Um, my favorite one is Little Miss Stony Brook and Dawn. Oh, that's in my top three. <laughs> I it's have so a copy. Good. I have a copy that Anne and Martin brought me to the set that she inscribed <sighs> to me. And when she gave it to she wrote like a long message on the title page. <laughs> And when she handed it to me, I burst into tears. We were like yeah. in the tent and there was like all these like construction guys were like sitting at the next table like that I was the boss of. And I'm like weeping yeah. over this like little oh. pink book. <laughs> How could you not? <laughs> it, was yeah. really, it was really an overwhelming moment. Oh. Um, yeah. I loved, I loved the super specials. I remember I especially loved um, one and two babysitters on board and mm. Um, Hello, Camp Mohawk, which we changed in the series mm-hmm. um, to be like a slightly less offensive camp yes. name. We, were we like that. About that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, they're pretty good, but there's little things here and there that just nobody even thought about in like the 80s and early 90s. Yep. But like you've got to think about now. Um, and I loved New York, New York. I remember the mm-hmm. whole part where Claudia goes to the cloisters to like sketch things at the cloisters and it has her drawings in them. And I loved that. Um I always loved Claudia books. I think I I loved Claudia and the Sad Goodbye. I know I loved that one because that one was so. 
I also really liked Dawn and the older boy. I really liked the Dawn ones for some reason. Oh man. <laughs> Even though Did Dawn you... is like far from my favorite babysitter in the books, mm-hmm. but for some, but I feel like I found I found Dawn like running up against things to be very funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember thinking that one was really funny. Yeah. Have you reread that one as an adult? Yes, and I'm like this guy is gay. Like, <laughs> I'm like he's like picking out earrings for her and like telling her yeah her hair. that's <laughs> what I thought in our episode I was like yeah. he's like making her over it's like he's clueless like right yeah totally it feels very like Christian and Sharon yes percent like they go to the yeah. mall and he wants to go in the clothes stores we and I'm like we even an older that. boy is like not and also he doesn't really ever try to like kiss her or anything or do anything yeah. super inappropriate even though he's old <laughs> Yeah, he just wants to make her pretty, pretty. Yeah, he just wants to make her pretty. Yeah, he wants to help her with her fashion. Mm -hmm. Um, I also really loved Boy Crazy Stacy. That (gasps) one really stuck out for me. I mean, such a classic. Yeah, yeah, I think those are my favorites. I I also really liked um, (laughs) Jesse and the Dance School Phantom. I liked the Jesse ones that were really about (laughs) ballet because I was really into theater as a kid and Mm -hmm. performing and was really serious about it. So I think I really identified with that aspect of Jesse, and I like. Any, any, anytime she had to like audition for something, I was very into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. And Jesse's secret language. Um, I was like, wow, she's like, she learned sign language and like. Really fast. Like really fast. <laughs> really fast. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah. while rehearsing for this ballet, I was like, wow, Jesse, man. Jesse is more accomplished <laughs> at 11 than any of us will ever be. Well, I guess <laughs> as a dancer, she has a certain facility with physical action that maybe makes sign language mm-hmm. faster it's sort of like choreography I guess yeah no, that's a good point I don't know it does I like that like I like that logic it does yeah. seem like she picks she dances fast. with her fingers <laughs> also yes. Yes, exactly <laughs> oh you know the one I always I read recently because I've been like just I have like my, my entire house, by the way, is filled with Babysitter's Club books because the studio, like, in between seasons will just send me, like, giant lots of them they buy on eBay. So I have, like, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them in stacks everywhere in my house and my office, which is starting to become strange. Like, people, when people, I remember the first time someone I didn't know came over, they're like, you have a lot of these Babysitter Club. I'm like, it's a lot. <laughs> it's just like, like a professional organizer that came to my yeah. house. And I'm like, there's a reason. <laughs> It's not weird. I just have nowhere else to put them. I love it. Um, there's just like stacked up everywhere. I have like a stack of them. That's like my like like computer angle thing at my desk in my office. They're everywhere. But I I've been rereading them again, just kind of thinking ahead if we keep going on with the show. And I read Mallory and the Trouble with Twins again recently, and I actually Mm -hmm. really like that one. That's a great one. Yeah, really good one. I like it when she takes them shopping. I always liked it when they went shopping. That was. Mm That's, yeah. And that's the one where they all go to the mall and get their ears pierced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they except call it mauling. They use mauling as a verb. Yeah, except yeah. Christy. But Christy orchestrates the choosing of earrings for all of them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's we have good. to ask, which which babysitter do you most relate to? And you can give an answer of like younger Rachel and also present day Rachel. Oh, that's a good way to put it because I do feel mm-hmm. like I've evolved. I will say at this point, I feel like it is harder for me to answer this question than it was before I started working on the show, because Mm. now that I've written all of the characters and feel so deeply, I am them, they are me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Totally. There's so much less separation. As a kid, I think I really identified with Claudia the most, and I think I still do on some level. Um, 
she was, you know, she, I was also sort of like this artistic kind of like dreamy, absent-minded kid in this like very academic sort of straight-laced family. Mm. And I felt like I was always disappointing them. <laughs> I was, I was really close to my grandmother. Um, I was interested in fashion and boys and things like that, but in a sort of weird way, not in a sort of Stacy way, you know, it was less <laughs> about like status and more about like, how can I put this together? And, you know, and, oh, that guy's a poet. That's cool. You know, like I definitely would have been more of a Trevor Sanborn girl than a like mm-hmm. got the lifeguard girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I felt like, but there was also a part of me that felt very Marianne like, I think, <laughs> like in my yeah. deepest heart of hearts, because I felt I was, I was not shy, but like I definitely was sort of romantic and sentimental and um, sensitive and, you know, those kinds of things that Marianne is. Yeah. Um, now that I'm older, I mean, you have to be such a Christie to like run your house and run a show and, you know, do all of that kind of stuff. And I, so I feel like there's some Christie and even some Stacy that has seeped in a little bit more, but I think mm-hmm. I still feel the closest to Claudia. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. The, yeah. I think, you know, the secret, the secret Marianne-ness to, or not so secret Marianne-ness. I think there's a, a lot of Marianne's who are fans of the books, right? Like, and, and yeah. spent a lot of time reading yeah. and See, like, spent some time alone time and alone. felt kind of lonely. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I am. Um, I feel like, uh, but that I have, I feel like out in the world, I'm very Claudia. Like I um, remember when we were going to pitch the show and I had this, like this horrible thing happened where like we were going, you know, we, you just, Back in the days before the sickness, as my four-year-old calls it, when we had meetings in person, <laughs> um, we were, you know, we just drive around to like all the different networks, pitching it three or four meetings in one day. And my phone died and I didn't have like the address for Apple, I think it was like in my phone and, and I didn't have a charger and I was like on the way there and I was like, oh, I'm going to like not show up because I don't know where I'm going. And I had to like pull over and buy like a phone charger at a gas station and then try to plug it in like in the parking lot of the gas station and and then find it. And I got there and I like still flustered and I still, luckily I was late, but Apple at Apple, I feel like your meetings always start late. So everyone was still like in the waiting room. Thank God. And I remember telling this story about like, sorry, my phone died. I'm a charger. I know what to do. And one of the, um, I think it was Naya or one of the, no, one of the other producers that was going around pitching was just like, oh my God, you're such Claudia. That is such a Claudia thing to yeah. do. Like, it, it totally is. It's just like embark on this thing without any of this stuff. Yeah. Anne's nodding in recognition. That all sounds. Yeah. Sounds on track my me. phone's always at like 10%. Yeah. Keeping my phone charged is like the central drama of my life. It's so difficult. <laughs> Yeah, it is very difficult. I just don't, I don't remember to do so it. Hard. I don't remember to do it. I don't have the thing. It doesn't <gasps> yeah. hold the charge long enough. I guess I don't close enough of the windows. And, and oh, me like, too. Oh, my God. It's like a disaster <laughs> when my phone dies, especially like when I'm on set and I have like, you know, I like put my phone down for five minutes and come back to literally like 115 emails. That only be answered immediately. Yeah. When my phone dies, it's like it's like a national emergency. <laughs> and yeah. It happens all the time. Oh my god! You well, should get one a, of those. Yeah. You should get one of those cases that has the battery in it. But then I would have to charge that case. That's it. true. <laughs> well, it's funny. I have it just be yet another thing that isn't charged. I have like one of those wireless like chargers on my nightstand because I'm just like, well, if I don't have to plug it in, and I could just like put yeah. it on something, and I still don't do it. <laughs> I like shove it between my headboard and my mattress I before know. I go to bed. 
I have chargers everywhere, like to just try to trick me into remembering to charge that there's like one in every room of the house and they're never, none of them are ever have the phone plugged in. All right, Claudia and Claudia, I'm going to pull some Christy energy and move this along. <laughs> Let's get back to the show. Um, so, so Rachel, for, for those not in the industry, can you tell us a little bit more about what a showrunner does? So our understanding is basically everything. Um, and so thank you, but tell us, <laughs> tell us a little bit about it. We know you had a hand in everything like, yeah. What's I mean, a the day great look thing like? about being a show owner, I will say this, you are responsible for everything and it's a lot of work, but you also have a tremendous amount of support. So it's a lot of people, other people doing the stuff I'm genuinely terrible at, like scheduling things and like remembering where stuff is and like doing all the like arrangements of stuff. And it's a lot of people reporting to me. And telling me like you need to be here at nine and here at ten and here at eleven, at, or like choose between this thing and this thing, and that I can a hundred percent do. <laughs> I can keep everything in my head if I don't have to like manage the like logistics of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. So basically, yeah, as the showrunner, you're in charge of the entire creative direction of the show. You on the writers' room, you're in charge of the scripts. Um. You often will do a pass on the scripts or sort of you know rewrite people. That's part of your job. Um you're kind of in charge of knowing where the story's going. So there's all of that on the writer's side. And then you're also kind of the chief creative voice in all of production. So you're the one that everybody comes to with everything. You run the production meetings. Well, the AD runs the production meetings, the assistant director, but you're the one that everybody, anyone that has a question, they have to come to you. So you really have to keep, so it's a lot of hats, right? It's like being able to sort of manage the budget of the show. I mean, not, not in a super, um, like granular way but when someone says like we're a hundred thousand dollars over budget like what seed in the script can we lose like you're the one who has to figure that out it's a lot Mm -hmm. of problem solving you also have to liaise with the network and the studio and make sure that they're happy um it's a lot of people skills it's a lot of management skills it's a lot of creative skills it's kind of like and the buck sort of stops with you so it's a big job um i actually feel really grateful that I never, that this is the first show that I've run um, and it went well, but I think I'm actually much better at it because I did it for the first time after I'd had a baby. And -hmm. like the way that your brain sort of reorganizes itself after you have a kid is very conducive towards being a showrunner where everything is sort of triage, where you're like, okay, here's the 70 things that have to get done today, but which one has to be done immediately? Which one can wait an hour? Which one is Mm -hmm. until the end of the day? Like, which one is, is, is there blood? Is anybody bleeding? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, or is like, is there something wet that has to be cleaned up? <laughs> like, you know, just like the way that you sort of learn to like manage tasks, I found to be very similar. Yeah. So that makes um, a lot that's of right. Sense. I think like women are kind of. In my- yeah. <laughs> Even women that don't have kids, you feel like, ha- I feel like have so many there's there's just triage you have to do in your life you're caring for parents or you're caring yeah. for your friends you're do, like they're in that kind of caretaker figure things out triage things yeah I mean women I think often. are better multitaskers in my experience and I don't know if it's because our brains are wired that way or it's because we're just expected to be that like as a woman you have mm-hmm. to operate on so many different parallel tracks all the time to just make your way through life right. from, with any like remote chance of success <laughs> that <laughs> that like I really find um and show running is all about multitasking it's all about being like being in the room with the writers and then getting pulled out for half an hour to do this call with the network and then going back into the room and being able to like sort of just flip your focus on a dime you know yeah um but 
That totally makes sense. Yeah. Like babysitting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, we really love the show um, and we love I'm basically so all the choices you've made, but we definitely have questions. So okay. how, how did you initially get involved in the project? Um, well, I was sort of, I think the final piece of the package as it was coming together, you know, the package in Hollywood is when it's like what you take out to the studio. So it's like the producer. Sometimes it means there's a director attached. Sometimes it means there's like a star attached and sometimes a writer, you know, just kind of all the elements. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had just had my son. I was, I think I was, I was back working on Glow. I, w- I went back to work full time when he was three weeks old, which is stupid and nobody should do that. (laughs) But I did it. And um, so I was already back at work, but he was only maybe like three months old or something. And I got an email from Lucy Katata, who was a friend of mine and we had dealt together before, but mostly we were friends. And she was like, did you ever read the Babysitter's Club growing up? And I was like, oh my God, yes, yes, yes. And she was like, well, I think what had happened, I can't, she was working for Mike DeLuca at the time at his company. he's another executive producer on the show. And I don't remember exactly like which came first, either she had sort of been saying like for years that she wanted to do the babysitters club and had taken it to Mike. And Mike was like, yes, let's figure it out. And I think they then partnered with Walden and Walden media either already had the rights to the books or they were able to buy the rights to the books from Scholastic for Mike and Lucy to produce. And Scholastic, I know through the years had been very protective of the babysitters club as IP they were very concerned about it. Like, you know, I think there had been like interest over the years, but they were very concerned about it getting like too aged up or racy or kind of somebody making like mm-hmm. a sort of Riverdale version of the Babysitter's Club. Mm-hmm. And they really didn't want that. And Anne didn't want that. And mm-hmm. they really wanted someone that they felt they could trust to be true to the spirit of the books and the characters and like the tone of them. And they had this relationship with Walden because Walden does a lot of kind of family um, entertainment stuff. I think they had done mm-hmm. that movie Wonder with Scholastic. So they had this mm-hmm. relationship. So either they already had the rights or they were that Scholastic was willing to entrust Walden with the rights. And then at the same time, Lucia Agnello, who's our wonderful uh, producing director, had been looking for something to adapt. And I, she had loved these books growing up. And I think she sort of was trying to figure out if she could get the rights and they were like, well, the rights, like she personally could buy them. They're like, well, they're like a million dollars. So like she didn't buy them, but, um, but she found out that Mike and Lucy had them with Walden. And so she, I think they called her, she called them somehow. She came on as a director and then they were really looking for someone to write and create the show. So Lucy, um, I know they talked to several people and they got in touch with me and I was like, yes, oh my God, yes, let's have a meeting. But I was so like intensely postpartum and like not sleeping and completely like out of it and doing things like, you know, driving off the studio a lot with like the car door open and like oh. getting on the freeway oh. on the run. Like it was not good. Like I barely remembered my name. I had not slept. Like I hadn't slept more than 45 minutes in like months, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I totally forgot that I had this call set with her and Naya to just have this like initial conversation. And I was on set at Glow and the phone rang and it was them. And I was like, oh my God, it's this call I had like I hadn't thought about it at all and I took <laughs> and I went in this little like broom this little sort of prison cell on the set which was supposedly like the pumping room even though I don't think anybody pumped in there but it had like yeah why do they all look like prison cells it was the same at my hospital just anyway, like a closet on. that they yeah. cleaned out there was like no ventilation there was like yeah. thunder block it's, it's just this terrible. like tiny thing yeah. and here's the saddest part of it was that someone in order to try to make it more cheerful, had like ripped a page out of a calendar of like a beach scene 
and like taped it to the wall. So it really did feel like a prison cell. No, like, also, you, like, <laughs> also the same at my hospital. I'm not exaggerating. Like, exactly like, the same. At this, yeah. You can stare at these, this, this weird photograph of beach chairs. Like why? Yeah. This thing? I don't think I ever actually pumped in there, but it was there, you know, because by law yeah. it was supposed to be there. <laughs> and, I, and I shut myself yeah. in this little room and I just started talking and what was so amazing is having not really thought about these books in any detail for, like I said, like 25 years, they just all came back to me. I remembered everything. I remembered specific outfits. I remembered, you know, oh, and Nina Marshall's weird strawberries. I remember mm-hmm. you know, everything with Watson and and his wedding with Christie's mom and Christie's yellow bridesmaid dress and everybody's handwriting and like just all of this stuff. It was just like there in my brain. Like I could not remember my address. But like I knew yeah. all of the details of the Babysitters Club. I knew this I remember also like sounds Claudia's, yeah. Claudia's tights, yeah. Claudia's tights with clocks. I on mean, them. you remember like the, the sheep, yeah, the, the important stuff. The important yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like all there in my lizard brain. And so I like just like I just totally winged it. Like I just kind of pitched out this whole idea for it and what it would be like and how we would set in the present day and how we would. And they were like, "Great, okay, that sounds great." And so then. um, I met with Lucia a few weeks later. We had not met before. We hit it off right away and had just really similar energy and liked each other so much and um, had very similar kind of um, attachment to the books and and sense of why they were important and kind of similar vision for the show and our taste mm-hmm. about it really lined up. Um, and yeah, so then, you know, some more weeks passed and then they they told me that they wanted me to do it. And I was thrilled and, and slightly more rested by then because, you know, these things take so long that by right. the time I think I actually like, got the job like Theo was eating solid foods and starting to sleep right. for more yeah. than 20 minutes at a time <laughs> I like my hair was clean again like I, I was like a new person <laughs> yeah but, that totally makes but sense. that's why some of the details are fuzzy about like yeah <laughs> it all came together yeah so I'm interested in the writing process and the first season was the first 10 books plus super special number two um mm-hmm. how did you develop the episodes because they kind of combined different like storylines together. Was that tricky or was it just something that came kind of naturally to you? Well, it's very much, you know, I, I knew that I wanted to kind of do the shifting first person perspective episode to episode because that's what the books were. And I, that was what was so great about them too, because you really got to sort of be in each girl's head and there were ones you liked more and ones, but it, it made you feel like you really knew all of them, mm-hmm. you know? And I love that intimacy, that idea of like being in somebody else's sort of internal monologue and the fact that like they all kind of have like slightly different perspectives on the others and something that like Christy thinks is not quite how Claudia remembers it. Like that kind of stuff I thought was so great. Um, And you just kind of effortlessly get to know them. So I knew I wanted to do that. And we felt, um, I felt, and I think when, when we discussed it, Lucia felt too, that those first 10 books or so, I really feel very canon it's like what kind of sets up a lot of the big arcs that then continue throughout the entire series. And then it gets kind of looser, but things like Christy's mom getting remarried, you know, like Marianne's dad and Dawn's mom realizing that they both live in town now and who knows mm-hmm. what's going to happen. And like Dawn coming to town and Claudia and Stacy becoming friends and Stacy's diabetes and all of this stuff that felt like if we really kind of used those as the foundation, we could be a little looser moving forward because then it's like 26 and then the next one is 38 and then it's 14, you know, like we could kind of, they don't follow the same trajectory as those first books. It's like the first 10 or so really feel like a series. And then after that, the books are sort of episodic and they don't get older Mm -hmm. and like, it just kind of, you know, continues on forever. Um, So that felt like a really good jumping off place. And then, and then we just felt, yeah, like we could kind of weave in things 
from other books or just things that we kind of had thought of independently that were sort of updates or just things that we thought they could have tackled or would have tackled if the books were written now and kind of tried to um, weave those through. You know, and then obviously in just just making television, you kind of need to have something to like cut away to. <laughs> and the books mm-hmm. are kind of like that, you know, like they're all these sort of, um, you know, they're little like, it's like, I feel like the cutaways are always like a babysitting job. It's like suddenly it's like Stacy's handwriting talking about her, like, you know, babysitting mm-hmm. Jackie Radowski or whatever that day. And they're mm-hmm. not always totally connected to the story. Um, and we also knew that we would have to limit the number of scenes where they could really babysit little, little kids because those are just very difficult to shoot because mm-hmm. of the kids' hours and kids' maturity levels. And we basically figured out that they can't babysit anybody on our show that's like between the age of about like, two and like six that they can babysit like they can babysit little little babies because they just sit there and just have to be like in one shot or they have Mm -hmm. to be sort of seven or eight and actually like old enough to like remember their lines and hit their marks Mm -hmm. and take direction and like want to be there that's (laughs) so funny we had just like in the books yeah yeah, in the books they babysit so many kids that are like three or four and i'm like we can't we can't do it yeah they're too complicated that makes total sense knowing three and four year olds and um, I'm, you know, I'm a child psychologist, so I love kids a lot. And yeah. Anne and Emily both like kids. But I think as we've gone through the podcast, they're always like, oh, it's a babysitting chapter. So they were really happy when there was less babysitting in the yeah. series. And I was like, where'd all the babysitting go? But that logistical reason makes total sense. There are things I yeah. do as a mother that I know are from the Babysitter's Club books that I just do unconsciously. A thousand Like percent. my son, who's four, is, has gotten really into like drawing all of a sudden. And he's starting to be able to draw things that kind mm-hmm. of look like things, but sometimes not. And now he'll like bring me up and I'm always like, tell me about it. Because that's yeah. when the babysitter's <laughs> tell me about your picture. <laughs> Instead of asking what it is. <laughs> I know that's from that, you know? Yep. Totally. Like all the different like craft projects with Claudia. When Claudia does like, we were like doing paper mache the other day. And I'm like, this is like the Claudia's art camp. Mm-hmm. This is. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So. That's cool. So season one, you know, canon, as you said, season two, it jumps around a little bit more. And we're curious, like, why you picked those books as like, kind of your narrative, because there were some books in there that were like, oh, we're surprised that, you know, the baby parade made it into season (laughs) two, because you were like, oh, baby parade, that's kind of a weird one. But then it like, we love the updates to Jesse and the Super Brat. We, like, yeah. we love the version of it on the show, but the book is actually our least favorite book we've read so far. We're on book 46. We're it's like, this book one. is trashed. Mm-hmm. So. I know. Well, we really wanted to, I mean, I feel like this year we were like a lot looser with the content of like each individual book. Like we have this sort of rule that everyone, everyone has to plausibly be able to have like the title of a real book attached to it as the episode title. But we did play a little faster and looser with like the storylines in them because it felt like we had earned that, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, like Christy and the Snobs is is pretty similar to Christy and the Snobs. Obviously, there's some different details. Stacy's emergency is kind of totally different because I mean, the Stacy ones, I think especially we we I don't want Stacy to like move back to New York, you know, like so I yeah. feel like and that's kind of like where her story goes in these kind of like middle Mm -hmm. section of books so we just we had to kind of like figure some other stuff out you know claudia and the new girl we we sort of um we're like well mallory's the new girl and so it's you know that's kind of the story that we're telling and we'll bring in a version of ashley wyeth but it's not claudia's friend i feel like there's always a lot there's a lot of books where like claudia or stacy usually has some cool friend that like thinks the babysitters club are stupid like there's lane (laughs) 
<laughs> there's Ashley. And it, yeah. there's just, I just feel like on this show, you really want to see all of them together. Like you have less real estate to kind of bring in these auxiliary characters that we'll really care about. Mm-hmm. So we sort of, we tried to always focus on like the, the conflict in the story being between the girls that we know and love, as opposed to bringing in like outside characters all the time, you know, right. to have for the A story. Um, so that was sort of, and then with Jesse, I really knew that I wanted to tell a story about her ballet, but we liked the super Brad of it too. Cause it felt like there was like an interesting, just like interesting contrast to be drawn between like kids that are very focused on career sort of things mm-hmm. versus the way that Jesse is focused on her dance and how she sort of sees it as a career, but it's not. And like, the pressure and just all of that kind of stuff felt interesting. And I think for some of our child actors hit slightly close to home in ways that I didn't a hundred percent foresee. Oh, really? (laughs) But it's okay. I think they're all pretty happy to be there. I really do feel like we've got like a good group of kids that have all like chosen this, you know, but, and then, yeah. And, and, you know, and it also, we also felt like we really wanted to tell that great story with Dawn and Marianne, how they think like living together is going to be so awesome but then mm-hmm. it's not because it's not always the best to live with your friend and that that can mm-hmm. be difficult and that brings its own anxiety. But we felt that since we had just last season had Christie's parent, it just felt way too soon yeah. for like, mm-hmm. like, like realistically for like Richard and Sharon to be like getting married again all of a sudden. So we just, yeah. and we also felt like there was a, it was a nice way to tell a story about how like marriage does not have to be the end mm-hmm. of every story. Marriage is not like an end. To I really like that part. Yeah, that like there's a lot of different ways to have people in your life and get what you need from them without having to like kind of conform to this very black and white sort of trajectory of relationships. And, yeah, you know, and that so that felt like a good place to kind of tell that story. And, and that I feel like some of that is just sort of putting like a slightly more 2021 kind of lens on some of this stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Absolutely. So, Rachel, um, you uh We've thought a lot on the podcast, as we, especially as we've gone on, about how much we're really all Mallory, um, and that while I'm a Christy and Anne's a Claudia and our other co-host Emily is a Dawn, we're all kind of Mallory. Um, you're a, a Taurus like Mallory and like Anne. I'm, like um, I'm also a Taurus. Yeah. I'm like Richard um, Spear. I'm a Taurus. Yes. Like so and we do we obsessively saw... look up all of their birthdays to make yeah. sure that we have the right. <laughs> yeah. We um and we I we saw the article about Mallory in Vanity Fair where you sort of talked about how we're all kind of Mallory, but then you did you skipped her. So we want to know like how it must have been a hard decision to not have a Mallory centered episode. While Vivian got a lot of play in the other episodes, like in Claudia and the New Girl, yeah, we love her voice in the books. Like we love to hear from her. We actually like her better in her own books than in the other books. So we're just curious yeah. about how no, she's much how you made the decision. Book. Well, we felt like we sort of, with all the stories we knew we wanted to tell, we just, we had fewer episodes this season because of COVID and just because that made everything take so much longer, be so much more difficult and expensive. So it's kind of how it, it just shook out. Um, And it felt like not having her own episode was sort of the most Mallory thing. It's true. (laughs) (laughs) It's very Um, fair. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I felt like it was, I, I, but I definitely regret it you know like I wish we had yeah. that space for Mallory and I wish that we'd had more episodes and it's one of my main priorities for season three to make sure that because Vivian is also so funny and such a great Mallory like yeah writing she's for incredible her is so fun she's so incredible I really can't wait to do it um we knew we wanted to tell a Jessie story Jessie is such a popular character kind of in fandom and it felt really important to get her in there and so we just it was just honestly I mean that's what you get for yeah, having 
so many kids in your family, I guess, constantly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I agree. I, I wish, I really, I wish we'd had room. <laughs> yeah. Are there any other, are there more minor characters from the books that you wish you could have included, but you've had to leave out so far? Other um, than Jeff, who has been erased from the Stony Brook. Jeff has uh, been erased. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff has been erased. I was, it was a big conversation we had with Anne and with David Levithan, uh-huh. the publisher of Scholastic, to not use Jeff. But I just really felt like, I felt like I liked the dynamic of just Dawn and her mom being the two of them. Mm-hmm. And then if if Jeff was in California with his dad, it felt like that would take like an entire story to kind of explicate. So right. it just felt like it made the most sense. Yeah. There's a, and I also feel like there's also just like a lot more only children than there used to be. Also, that's like, true. I have an only yeah. child. Mm-hmm. I feel like I know so many more kids that age that are only children that like it, they didn't feel so overrepresented as they might, you know, mm-hmm. in in our day when right. nobody was an only child. Right. We have that Stacey, makes a lot of sense. an only child. Marianne is an only child, but I feel like Marianne would not have been an only child if her mother right. hadn't died. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. You know, one character I would love if we could get some like amazing actress at some point would be such a fun cameo for someone is Nanny, Christie's grandmother that comes mm-hmm, to the house. Mm-hmm. That'd be the, awesome. The pink clinker. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I feel like we really kind of don't do mean girls exactly on our show, you know, mm-hmm. so we don't really have There's like, no Cokie Mason. like your Cokie Masons or your, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I, I was always, I was always sort of weirdly, um, into like Pete Black, like Stacy's kind of boyfriend mm-hmm. sometimes. <laughs> like she goes to dance yeah. with, but not yeah. really. I don't know. I don't, I, you know, but I feel like Stacy and Sam Thomas are the end game on our show. They, yeah. Ooh, they I like that. Yeah, I don't know. There's, I'm sure we'll, we'll get to all of them. I'm sure. I hope. This sounds like a hint of, <laughs> this sounds so. like a hint of season three. Well, for me. I'm thinking out loud. <laughs> Great. So one thing on our podcast we've been very focused on are are their first periods because they don't they you know they they're not mentioned them. in the book and so we've we've kind of like discussed them a lot in the book and like when the girls get their periods as proxies for their like maturity yeah so we were really excited to see that Christy got her period and Christy's big day which is funny because when we did the episode on that book we were actually like oh. I, I think Christy got her period in this book. So when <laughs> it was came a, out, it was like yeah, weeks before when you guys released. she puts on her dress and thinks that yeah. she looks pretty, she's symbolically becoming exactly. a woman. <laughs> we had screamed when it happened on the screen. I always thought the that the beginning of the first book, when they're like, Claudia's wearing a bra now, and the way she talks, you think boys had just been invented is, is Anne's way of telling us that Claudia yes. has a yes. over the summer. Yes, a thousand yeah. percent. Yes. Stacey, mm-hmm. I think, has had her period since she mm-hmm. was like five or six. Yeah. <laughs> totally also the way she always talks about like marianne and christie's like physical smallness and how much less developed they are physically Mm -hmm. compared to the other girls Mm -hmm. Um, which is not actually true on our show just with our cast but Mm -hmm. um i mean i don't know when they all got their periods it's not really like up to me yeah (laughs) Yeah. i think they're all like 15 they're all like 15 now so i'm sure yeah Yeah. It's not something you discussed with everybody before you did the final no. casting, Rachel. Yeah. No. <laughs> so we're looking for a Marianne who hasn't had her period yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a, uh... but we sort of played it with Christy that Christy was the last one that they all, yeah. you know, had already gotten. Oh yeah. We, I mean, other than probably Mallory. Other than probably Mallory. Yeah. 
Yeah. I I got my period on the latish side. I think I was 13, which isn't, mm-hmm. which is, I think, pretty average, but it seemed like everybody else had theirs first and like, you'll never get it, you know? Yeah. So I felt like, I feel like that was a little bit my story that Christy yeah. did. Yeah. Me too. I did not get it at my mother's wedding. I just no. Got it. Yeah. My mother's, <laughs> my mother's wedding was in 1973. I wasn't sure. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. so I do we know someone really... that got. The, I do know someone that had a miscarriage at her father's wedding. <laughs> oh God. Which is horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry to laugh. <laughs> no, no. I mean, no. That's actually perfect for our podcast. We tend to take it to really sad places at inappropriate moments. So that was great. <laughs> I'm remembering that though, like. Someone telling me that once um, yeah. when I was writing that episode. Yeah. That's a bad like, version of oh. the story. Yeah, no, this is better. This is better. Yeah. I do remember when we turned that, when we like turned the outline for that script into the network, one of the things they had, they were like, but it's not going to like get on her dress or anything, is it? I was like, no, it's not. We're not going to see it on her dress. She's not going to like walk back into the party with a giant blood stain on the back of her bridesmaid's dress. <laughs> this isn't, wait. I have a question. So were there other things that the network was like kind of felt iffy on or like you kind of had to push um, honestly, them? For the most part, for the most part, they've been incredibly supportive and wonderful. Mm-hmm. I feel like most of their conversations have been about like, you know, the girls in the books have a lot of conflict. Like they sometimes get really angry at each mm-hmm. other. And oh, yeah. Other, and they can be Super pretty petty. Mean yeah. And very petty. And I feel like it's always a balance with the network because those things that like read one way on the page and then could play just so alienating like mm-hmm. you know when they're like screaming at Marianne like you're a baby it's yeah like, you can't come back from that you know <laughs> so um so I feel like a lot of it was navigating that line of like what kind mm-hmm. of conflict sort of works on our show and because I, I it was very important to me that they had conflict you know because that's set the crux of the books and I think is such a great lesson for the books which is that you can have conflict with a friend and it is not the end of your friendship that you are able totally. to move past it that in a way it can bring you closer that relationships that don't survive conflict are not necessarily very deep or lasting yeah and that's a lesson that i feel like kids need to hear that like you had a fight with your friend or you were mean to their your friend or they were mean to you but like that does not mean that you know now you're enemies <laughs> especially yeah. in middle school i think it's that's a valuable lesson so but yeah, figuring out like just the level of it and kind of like what they could say to each other was like a thing we definitely had to figure out. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah. In addition to periods, another thing we talk a lot about on the show that was very front and center in your show is capitalism and sort of yeah. the failures of it. And I think the the series, the, the books in many ways, you know, they're entrepreneurs and it's like very much a like rah-rah capitalism kind of situation. So I'm just curious about, you know, your thought process. And I mean, I think you made the the feminism much more overt. And then also we're not just like on board with them earning yeah. as much money as possible all the time. So I'm curious about, you know, Dawn especially has a bunch of great lines, but what the process was for getting that yeah, criticism totally. in there. Um, okay. So capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I'm, I, I am ambivalent about capitalism as it is practiced in the United States. Sure. At the same time, I have, as I mentioned in my self-descriptor, a shopping problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like money. I understand that we need it to exist. I would like to have more of it than probably I should have. But um, And so I feel like there's a really fine line to walk with, you know, the, I feel like you get a lot of this kind of like feminist messaging of being like a girl boss and getting ahead mm-hmm. and like elbowing other people out of the way and you know, whatever you do, because you're a woman, that's somehow feminist. Mm-hmm. 
at the same time, you know, I don't necessarily think that we need to disavow our drive for like personal success. And, you know, so I felt like maybe I feel like what we're trying to, what I try to do with the show is to put forward a version of capitalism that is more communitarian and socialist and civic minded than the capitalism Mm -hmm. as it is practiced, Mm -hmm. you know, that like they're trying, they make, they sort of are trying to do well by doing good, (laughs) you know, and they're very aware of that. And they're very aware of inequity in the system. You know, I feel like that whole kind of protest that they have at camp in season one and the way that, you know, Don sort of talks about the progressive taxation of the dues structure and tries to sort of explain that where it's like, no, you know, it's okay to make money, but then, you know, you are a little more responsible. You need to give a little more, but you're right. It's not fair that these people don't pay anything, but like you need to pay, you know, like just that kind of, yeah, just the way to kind of think about how to live ethically in a capitalist system that, you know, you're not necessarily going to be able to sort of totally overthrow and like Mm -hmm. maybe don't want to, but like what's more important than money, you know? (laughs) know? Yeah. Yeah. And what's, you know, and the fact that like they have, I think a truly sort of collaborative success in the club that like when one of them does well, they all do well. When they all do well, each one of them does well. So like Mm -hmm. without it sort of being like, it's very conscious there's never any contests of who's getting like the most jobs and there's Mm -hmm. never any sense of like you know who's more important because they're making more you know like I've tried to like divorce the concept of like money that money and personal worth are two different things you know and I feel like there's there's an interesting story there to be told in like Christy's story you know where like her mother marries into money she's not comfortable with it (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know she's worried about how it will change her, how it will change. And she's also worried about whether she fits in in this new neighborhood and all of that stuff that all felt like very relatable and real, you know, and, you know, there's a certain, obviously there's just a certain level of comfort that is inbuilt into TV shows. I think I, and I honestly, I feel like some of it is just always like (laughs) sets have to be so much bigger than like your actual living space would be to accommodate all the camera equipment. Like everyone's, house always looks nicer than it actually should. Right. Because it has to actually be bigger. <laughs> yeah. Because it actually has to be bigger. <laughs> yeah. So because there's because it's not just the girls that are in Claudia's room. There's like 35 other people in there <laughs> yeah, that you don't see. Yeah. <laughs> and there's like a camera and there's a dolly and there's a giant microphone and there's all these right. monitors and there's like all this stuff. But yeah, you know, I think I, I feel like if anything, I'm just trying to sort of through the show, figure out how I feel about we're living in a capitalist mm-hmm. society. And mm-hmm. that it's something that we yeah. can all, we don't have to sort of accept. We don't have to necessarily like disavow and despise, but we don't have to just sort of accept it blindly as, as an absolute good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very balanced way of thinking about things. Yeah. I'm a moderate, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm a, no, a totally. I'm a moderate socialist. Yeah, same, same. I'm always like, I love money, but also I hate money. Yeah. What do I do with yeah. this? I know. We have like three thousand more questions we could ask you, but we want to get down to the things we really want to know. So we want to know who the best catch in Stony Brook is. So best yes. Yeah. Um. So we have well, even though he's technically not in Stony Brook, Scott the lifeguard. Mm-hmm. That Pete we've ruled Black. out Travis because he's oh, gay, this is, right? This is multiple. This is multiple choice. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. yeah. It's got, yeah. got the life card. Pete Black, which you mentioned before. Alan Gray, hmm. Logan, or Bart Taylor. 
I think it's Pete. I think it's Pete Black. I feel like he lets Stacy be herself. He doesn't like pressure her for a commitment. They're on, they're off. He doesn't seem to cause a lot of drama. Mm-hmm. I feel like Alan Gray is like one of those like nerdy guys that you feel like you have to be nice to to make him not feel bad, even though he's mean to you. And I hate that. <laughs> Scott the lifeguard like doesn't know that Stacy's alive. And I don't think Christy likes Bart. <laughs> I feel like she always thinks she should like Bart. I Bart, mean, I mean, Emily and Esme are like horny for Bart Taylor. <laughs> like they love Bart Taylor. He's yeah, a he likes kids. Yeah. He plays softball. Yeah, he's probably uh, going to be a really good dad. Yes, you know. Yes, yeah. Like that's I thought true. you were going to ask about the grown-up dads, but uh, I, well, yeah, I think I think Pete Black because I really do feel like Pete. Pete just kind of meets Stacy wherever she is, you know. But yeah, he that makes true. sense. He doesn't yeah. seem like. But he doesn't. It doesn't make him sort of unappealing. Like it doesn't feel like he's like pining over her or anything. He's right. Just, like, right. Sort of like, he's just like oh, reliable cool. and yeah. chill. Yeah. He's like no, reliable and chill. I'm probably hot because you know that Stacy right. is not like going to the dance with the guy that is not. Oh super yeah. Cute. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So well, we'll get to the grown up dads in a second. So we we have sort of a lightning round Stony Brook. Would you rather that we're just gonna okay. kind okay. of pop <laughs> on some questions for you? So okay. Good. We'll start with a simple one. Would you rather drive the pink clinker or the junk bucket? Oh, the, I think the pink clinker. Mm-hmm. Okay. Who would you rather hang out with at the playground? Mrs. Newton or Dr. Johansson? Oh, Mrs. Newton. Dr. Johansson is a little stuffy in the books. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. As an adult now, who would you rather date, Watson or Richard? I think I'm, I think I'm a Watson girl. Yeah. But I but I feel like it's hard to it's hard to choose between them because I love both of both the marks so much. Oh, they're so amazing. They're so amazing. <laughs> and in yeah. very different ways. <laughs> but they're yeah. both like the most wonderful people. Yeah. I think in this show, I don't know. I think Watson. I think Watson. Fair. Esme, who would you pick? Uh I, you know, I probably did pick Richard a bunch in my twenties, but I would say Watson now. Yeah. Plus, Watson is rich. I don't have to work anymore, right? I'm just going to be some personality. I'm not shallow like you. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) Watson like Um, takes them all on a cruise. That's cool. Like he. Oh man, that is true. He's constantly accepting like hundreds of children into his house. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Would you rather rescue children from a bus accident in the snow or spend two days on an island? Oh, the snow. Okay. <laughs> 100% rescuing them from the snow. Because they were never in any danger in Snowbound. They saved true. the kids, yeah. but they brought them back to, like, that nice, cozy, like, up in yeah. ski kind of environment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When they were, like, when they were shipwrecked, that right? was, like, that, that well, genuinely Harrowing. unpleasant. <laughs> Harrowing. I would love for you guys to do that book. Yeah. I thought about it. I feel like that might be a good shipwreck. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, who's the neighbor you avoid at pickup, Mrs. Prezioso or Mrs. Barrett? Oh, God, Mrs. Barrett. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, she's going to try to get you to, like, have the kids over, like, just, oh, can I leave them with you? I'll just, and then, like, never come back, you know? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Prezioso is, like, annoying, but, like, she's, you know, she's, like, a, she's a good mom, you know? She's, mm-hmm. like. Yeah. Uh, would you rather live on McClellan Road or Bradford Court? Oh, I think I want to live on Bradford Court where my friends are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, who would be a good work <laughs> friend, Maureen McGill or Liz Thomas? Liz. Yeah. Agreed. Totally. 
Okay, you're in Sea City. Would you rather eat at Burger Garden or Crabs for Grabs? <laughs> well, I want I have, I want to go to Burger Garden because I want to sit at the toadstool. Mm-hmm. And I want yes. to do the, the magic tree, right? And they have that yeah. magic tree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you like the activities. I like the activities. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, <laughs> okay. the orange sauce that's really just ketchup and mustard mixed together, but they yeah. call it orange sauce. Yeah. Okay, you're Stacy. I like that we all gonna... just have this at our fingertips. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> you're Stacy, and you're gonna cheat. This is your '80s Stacy, so you're not allowed to have sweets. Do you go for the white chocolate or the root beer barrels? White chocolate. Okay. Root beer barrels are gross. <laughs> yeah, I mean they're both kind of gross, but I agree that white chocolate is the lesser. It's less sweet. gross. <laughs> yeah, it's less gross. I do occasionally voluntarily eat white chocolate, yeah. and I can't think of the last time I like chose a root beer barrel. Yeah. We had this whole conversation. That's not a candy that children No, No. Well, we were very upset over this because we're like, you're diabetic and you can't eat sweets, but those are her two two vices. Or she's like, man, I could really use a root beer barrel right now. It's like, what? No. (laughs) In Stacey's emergency, when she starts like just eating entire Hershey bars that she has. Yeah. That's more more my speed, the like furtive secret emotional eating. Totally. Okay, you're Claudia. Do you go for ring dings or Twinkies? Ring dings, chocolate. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, and then lastly, which super special trip would you want to take? Well, you know, I've never been able to go to Disneyland or Disney World without thinking of that when they go to Disney. You know, remember when the mm-hmm. triplets like find mm-hmm. that treasure map that's really mm-hmm. just like a napkin or something? <laughs> um. <laughs> I've done that. I think, I mean, I feel like New York, New York, but I know that there's one where they go to London and I haven't actually Mm -hmm. read that one because it's sort of like past my time. We haven't read it either. Yeah. It's the last super special. Yeah. Yeah. I do love camp. I love, I love summer camp. So I kind of just want, I kind of, I just want to go to camp again. Yeah. That's fair. They don't, they don't let adults go to sleepaway camp. They should. I would like, right? (laughs) That'd be super fun. fun. It'd be so fun. It'd be so fun. Okay, so we're out of time. But before we go, do you want to tell us about what you're working on right now? If you have any projects we can look forward to in the future that you're working on? Well, I'm working on this new season of The Handmaid's Tale. That's been a big tone tone shift. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of fun. I've I've got a couple of cool things in the works that I actually am not allowed to talk about. Fair enough. We'll just have mystery. We'll just have mystery. Um, And I'm hoping to be working on more Babysitter's Club very soon. Yeah, Fantastic. (laughs) So we end each of our episodes with a pizza toast, um, just like the girls do, to to something. So is there anything that you would like to pizza toast to? It could be something that we discussed. It could be something random that we've just been thinking about lately. I want a pizza toast to sheep because I feel like sheep sheep are are once again in. (laughs) Everybody... (laughs) Everybody has that Princess Diana sheep sweater. It's true. It showed up everywhere. Oh my God, you're so right. Yeah. That's such a great toast. I like that you had that ready too. Yeah. You're like, I know sheep. Oh my gosh. All right. A pizza toast to sheep. sheep. Pizza toast to sheep. (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We could talk to you for like 
five more hours, but we, we know can do it again. Yeah, you have to go. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Thank you guys so much. This was so so fun. It was really fantastic. Uh, we really appreciate it. And you know, think just uh, we also got a lot of comments. We we have a Patreon. We told our patrons that. We were, you know, we actually were like, hypothetically, if we got to talk to the creator of the show, what kinds of things would you want to ask? And someone said, this isn't a question, but I wanted to know how much I love the show. You can tell it was made with so much love and understanding of these books and characters. Getting to share it with my own children was one of the best parts of the last year and a half. So thank you. Oh, and I so think nice. that that thank expresses you. what See, as a lot almost, of people as feel as about crying. It. I'm about to cry. I cry every day. It's not new. <laughs> big part I of the podcast. we all do. I didn't yeah. used to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't used to either. The last um, year and a half has been yeah. rough, man. Yeah. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, guys. This episode of Stuck in Stony Brook is now adjourned. Thank you to Anna Martin for everything. Stuck in Stony Brook is edited by Emily Crandall. Theme song written and recorded by Gary Schaller, performed by the band Kid Kit. You can follow us on Instagram at Stuck in Stony Brook or find us on our website, stuckinstonybrook.com. Need some books that we mentioned? Buy them from our bookshop and support both a local independent bookstore and your favorite series literature analysis podcast. Find us at bookshop.org slash shop slash stuck in Stony Brook. Lastly, if you're feeling dibly generous and you want to rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts, that would be super helpful. You're the best friends a girl could ask for. <laughs>